You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Welcome, church. How y'all doing this morning? Awesome. I'm glad you are here. Happy summer. We made it to summer. Gotta love summer in Ames. It's that season in Ames of coming and going. Everyone's coming and going. And we miss the college students this time of year for sure. But you gotta love driving down Duff once June comes, right? I mean, in Lincoln Way, you can actually like see for half a mile without another car. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy the, how quickly things change in Ames. You gotta love it. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Revelation chapter one this morning. We're gonna continue this series that we started last week called Blind Spots. This, is, this series is going to be a series that takes us through uh, the first half of the summer. And I'll, I'll bring everyone into, into the heart of this series uh, before we jump into Revelation chapter 1. But this morning I want to share a message with you entitled The Role of Repentance. The Role of Repentance. And this is, this is a, a topic or a truth that's not often talked about in the church, even though Repentance is an elementary aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus set that precedent. It was carried on then in the the New Testament church in the book of Acts. Repent and believe. Believe and repent. Them going hand in hand. So belief being something much more than just mental assent. Much more than just an affirmation with our mouth, but also a, a level of belief that causes a life change or a redirecting of our lives. That is how repent, repentance and belief go hand in hand, especially at the moment of salvation. So when you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that you are lost and in need of a Savior, that there's nothing in yourself that you can do to, to muster up righteousness before God, and you realize Jesus took that place for you, that he provided a way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That moment... When that faith reaches critical mass and you're actually willing to turn 180 degrees from relying on yourself and hoping that you've got enough works to present before this holy God at the end of your life and you're willing to actually put your trust in Jesus Christ as your sufficiency, that is repentance for salvation. But oftentimes in the 21st century, especially in the Western church, we've neglected the role of repentance in the life of the believer. So it raises the question, what role does repentance have in our life post your encounter with Jesus, post that moment you've surrendered your life to him, you've placed your faith in him as your savior, and you you can repent in that way that you're not gonna put your faith in something else to save you as your sufficiency. But what about after that moment of salvation? Does repentance play any role in our lives after that? I feel like in our our very um, just hyper-happy culture, positive thinking type culture, we avoid talking about repentance because we've misunderstood repentance. We've misunderstood repentance to be, to be this kind of groveling in the dirt, to show remorse for our sin, this kind of staying in this place of sorrow over our sinfulness before God, to kind of somehow prove to him that we're sorry. That's what we think of when we think of repentance. I want to tell you this morning, that's not repentance. Not to say that there's not an emotional aspect to repentance of feeling sorrowful. But it's not about staying there, nor is it solely about that. There's something much more to it this morning, and I want to unpack it this morning through Revelation chapter 1. In the context of this series, I'll kind of set this up. 
This entire series, Blind Spots, is meant to be an equipping series for us because God wants to use us for change in our city. God wants to use you as an agent of change. We are a church, not of spectators or attenders, but of people that are activated in mission. We're people that are living the message of Jesus Christ Monday through Sunday. And so God wants to use you, but oftentimes we have blind spots that really hinder our witness. They, they hinder us from really shining brightly in a dark, chaotic world that needs you. This world needs you to shine brighter than, than we are today. God wants to use you as an agent of revival, as an agent of change in our city. That means in your marriage, in your, in your kids' lives, in your family, household environment, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. He wants to use you in all those contexts. But I believe that there's some preparation that God needs to do oftentimes in our hearts and our lives, and it's in the area of these blind spots. And so Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, this, is, this text that we talked about last week is the basis of this entire series. He sets up this scenario. You see a speck in your friend's eye, and your heart is broken with compassion. They have this issue, this sin issue, and you're like, I really want to help them. So you just you get at it, and you go to helping them. But in the process you don't realize that you have a plank in your own eye. You see the speck in their eye and you got a huge log sticking, in, sticking out of your eye. It's like the blind leading the blind. And oftentimes, I'm not trying to harp on the Western church, but oftentimes in terms of cultural Christianity in the West, we have huge logs sticking out of our eyes as we're trying to, to help the world. It's like the blind leading the blind. And so Jesus does not condemn us for having these desires to wanna bring change. And so we pointed that out last week in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. He says, first, remove the log from your own eye so you can see clearly to remove the speck from your neighbor's eye. So it's great that we want to bring change in our marriage, in our family, in our kids' lives, in our neighborhoods, in your neighbor's life. But first, we have to deal with our own junk. So that's what we talked about last week. Revival starts here. Revival starts with you. You want revival to come to our city, it's gotta start right here at Life Point Church. We have to get on our knees and say, God, bring revival here. Revive our hearts. Start with us. We can't always be blaming everybody else for all the problems. And right now, there's a lot of, in our world today, there's a lot of everyone blaming everybody else for, for the, the chaos in our world. What if the church of Jesus Christ turned that on heads and we got on our knees and we said, God, start with us. Revival, start here. We can bring clarity in a generation that's confused. God, we can bring peace to a generation that's anxious and depressed. God, we can bring healing to a, to a world that needs physical healing. God, start here. Start right here. Start here in our church. Start right here in Ames. Start in my family. Start in my living room. That's where it starts. So revival starts here. That's the premise of this entire series, but you can already kind of sense that, that in that essence of revival starting here, repentance is a huge part of it. So I want to bring clarity. I want to bring context to, to the role of repentance in the life of a believer. In Revelation chapter 1, I mean, the entire book of Revelation is, is written to these seven churches in Asia. So these are believers, either nominal believers or, or legitimate believers. You know, in a sense, there's always sheep and goats. And at the end of time, it's Jesus that will judge. So we, we have to realize that. Just because people affirm Christianity as the, the label of their life doesn't necessarily mean they are one of his sheep. 
But that, at the end of the day, Jesus is gonna be our judge. And Jesus sends these messages to these seven churches in Asia. So I want you to see, as we explore his messages to these believers, legitimate and illegitimate, that repentance is a part of it. And repentance is God's love. Repentance is God's mercy upon us to see rightly. So here's the definition of repentance. It's not just groveling in our sinfulness and our brokenness and in lying on the floor, just staying in this place, this um, constant state of sorrow. This is repentance. Repentance is a redirection of our future in response to God's holiness and his grace. We have this moment where we see clearly that God is holy. There's been aspects of my life that have have not lived up to his standard. That he is the author of what is best over our lives. And then we realize, oh, there's aspects of my life that are not in alignment with his best. And at the same time, we see that he doesn't just leave us there having that revelation, having that epiphany. Obviously, then sorrow does well up in our hearts and we say, wow, I'm so in need of something, something different. But he also gives us a way of escape. He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. He actually sends Holy Spirit to live in our lives, to empower us, to live victorious over those things. So in response to his holiness and his grace, there's a redirection of our life. We see, wow, we're going in the wrong direction. We're not going to keep going in the wrong direction. Instead, there's going to be a redirection of our future. That is repentance. And we'll see that here in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. You know, the, the messages to the churches in Revelation is, is really Revelations chapter 2 and 3. And we're not going to read all of chapters 2 and 3. We'll just kind of look at snapshots of the, the, um, the reproof that he brought, the rebuke that he brought to the churches but I'll set it up by, by, by taking a look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, how Jesus, or how John really sets up this, this entire revelatory um, um, book. John chapter, or sorry, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, it says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's how the Apostle John, the one who had this encounter with Jesus, set up this letter. And he describes Jesus in both those terms that I described in that definition of repentance. That he is both holy, he is the one who, he's the uncreated one. He, he was, he is, he is to come. He's almighty, he's alpha and the omega. He, it's his word that is final. What he says, that is what, that's what stands at the end of the day. So he's holy. So holy simply means set apart. Holy doesn't mean uptight. Holy, holy does not mean grumpy, okay? Holy means it's his word that, that matters at the end of the day. It's, he's the one who sets the standard, and he's completely set apart. There's no, nothing else like him in the universe. It's said of Jesus that he was, he is, he is to come. So that means he supersedes our dimensions of, of time. 
He's completely set apart, therefore he's holy. But in the same breath, and John, in his mind, has no, there's no conflict. There's no, there's no tension. Like, we seem to struggle. The church either goes in one extreme or the other. Either we're going to be a, a grace church and forget about the fact that he's holy, or we're going to be a holiness church, and we're gonna, everyone's going to be grumpy all the time, and we're going to constantly be judging everybody. John has no problem with the fact that, that Jesus is both holy and full of grace. Because he, he describes this one who's loved us. And he freed us from our, from our sins by his blood. He's so full of grace. And so when we see God in that light, that there's nothing else like him in the universe, and that he provided a way for us to actually come into right relationship with him and walk in friendship with him, that encounter, that moment, that epiphany, is an opportunity for repentance, and that is love. Repentance is love. So you can remove this idea, and there's actually a common teaching going around the church, not our church, church, big C, that we, we shouldn't talk about repentance in the New Testament, I mean, sorry, in the New Covenant, because repentance is works. I mean, you'd, you'd have to really, you'd have to do a hack job on the New Testament to get to this teaching, but it's, it's going around, around the church today. Repentance is not works. It is a natural response of love. If you truly have an encounter with the holy God and then you realize he provided a way out for you to actually redirect your future, that would be the, that'd be the natural response. It's not works. It's nothing more than relationship. And anytime we begin to get tangled up in our heads about you know, works versus grace and, and whatnot, always rooted in relationship. Think of your relationship with your kids. You, you want your kids to, to make great decisions, right? You, you want your, your kids to live a better life than, than you lived, and so you, you help direct them, correct them, right? You don't just let them figure it out completely on their own. They wouldn't make it past the age of five in this world. You know, you, you, you shepherd them, you, you direct them to help them come to these, these, these wise decisions on their own. That's, that's love. So anytime you begin to, begin to get tangled in your head, about works versus grace. Root, root the gospel back in relationship, which is always what it comes back to. Like God adopted you as a son or a daughter. So now you're in a relationship with your father, like, a, like a, a child is with his father. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's what he gave his life for, is that you would know him intimately, that you'd walk with him like a friend. So let's dive into uh, Revelation as we, as we look at these messages to these churches. There's seven churches that Jesus addresses. And he kind of s- starts a pattern of praise or affirmation or encouragement for things that they had done. But there's five of the seven that he has a very clear rebuke for. There's two, Smyrna and, um, and Philadelphia, that he he doesn't have a rebuke for. So there are seasons where God's not gonna be correcting something in your life. So when you say yes to repentance, it's not that every single day God's gonna be revealing something to you. It's as you submit your, your life to him in, rela- in true relationship, there's gonna be moments where he gently corrects us, like any loving father would do, as your comforter and your counselor, Holy Spirit would do. So five of the seven have specific blind spots that I wanna 
bring light to this morning because I think they're still helpful for us today. Even though these, these are, you have to understand that the book of Revelation was written to five literal churches that actually existed. They're not just symbolic churches. But even though they were literal churches, these seven churches and these five that he gave a rebuke for, there, there is a timeless message, to, obviously, to the book of Revelation. That's why so many people are, are so interested in it today. You know, the two most interested uh, books that people are most interested in in our secular age are Genesis and Revelation. Where'd we come from and what in the world's gonna happen in the future? So I know Revelation has all sorts of buzz about it today. These were, this was actually written to seven literal churches, but there's a timeless message even for the church today that I want us to hear. So let's look first at the, the church in Ephesus. In Ephesus, he said, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember therefore, therefore where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. See, there's no conflict between works and love relationship. If we truly love somebody, we would demonstrate it through, an, through outward action. That doesn't somehow earn his grace, earn his love. It is the natural response. So I call this, in the church of Ephesus, the blind spot of a lesser love. It's those seasons in our lives where our love just seems to wane. God's best for your life, and you would understand this, that if you're gonna shine brightly for God in this life, you are in your best place, your optimal place, when you are red hot, fiery, uh, you know, red hot on fire for Jesus. Amen? You understand that? It goes perfectly with that analogy. If you're gonna shine brightly in this world, you wanna be red hot on fire for Jesus. But there's moments, and we all have been there, where that love for him kind of wanes. We kind of fall into this kind of sloppy love relationship with God. It doesn't wake us up with that a pitter-patter in our heart, love for God. You can think of any romantic relationship you've been in. You know, when you start dating somebody or you're really realizing this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. You're so thoughtful about the words that come out of your mouth, right? You want to affirm them. You want to compliment them and and you want to open the door for them if you're a, a guy in this place and you want, to, you want to win her heart. So thoughtful about pursuing that person in love and you're so intentional about it. But then you get married and you're still, you're still on fire, on, on love, in love with that, that individual and marriage, married life happens and there's something that can kind of seep in to any married relationship. Intentionality goes out the window kind of the um, lax uh, nature of life kind of begins to sink in. And soon you begin to take each other for granted and you begin, to, you begin to, kind of your true colors come out and you begin to talk more rudely to each other, disrespectfully to each other. And soon in a married relationship, you understand, you tracking with me? In a married relationship, soon this lesser love can kind of seep in. It can be a blind spot in a marriage, but in relationship with God, that also can happen. We almost take it for granted. That moment when he pursued you when, you, when he opened your eyes to his goodness and his grace, you almost take those moments for granted. And here, Jesus is calling the church of Ephesus back. He says, go back to your first love. Do the works that you did at first, which is a great challenge for us. 
If you're here in this place and you feel like, oh, wow, I maybe, I maybe have this blind spot of a lesser love, I, w- I, would, I couldn't honestly say that I'm red hot, on fire for Jesus. There's, there's a great challenge here for us to go back to the things you did at first. Think back to the moment. Have that perspective, that, that moment where you zoom out and have perspective and realize, you know, what was it? What were the elements of my life that, that, that fueled that flame, that fanned that flame of, of love for Jesus, which is beyond emotions, but emotions are part of it. Bring yourself back to that place. Second is the, the church in Pergamum. He says this, you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam. And moving forward, so also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. These opportunities for repentance are also, it's God's mercy on us. Because there there is a judgment that comes upon us when we go uh, living with unrepentant sin. There's, there's certain natural consequences that we have to endure in this life when we, go, when we continue in a path that's wrong, that God has revealed is wrong. But obviously at the end of the age, there's also gonna be a judgment to come for unrepentant sin. So this is God's mercy. And so specifically here in the church in Pergamum, there were these teachings going on, these influential teachings, the teaching of Balaam and the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So I call this the blind spot of a worldly gospel. Specifically, he's referring to the teachings of Balaam. He's referring to Numbers chapter 31, where where Balaam influenced the Israelites to to chase after the gods of the Midianites and to to participate in idol worship and sexual morality. They they began to be deceived by this one who propped himself up as as a spiritual authority. And they began to be deceived away from pure devotion to God, to the God of Israel. And there's the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which there's a lot, a lot more speculation about what exactly the teachings of the Nicolaitans are. Early church tradition points it back to this deacon in Acts chapter 6 named Nicholas. But it's, it's hard to know concretely if that's really uh, what he's talking about here. But there, there's, a, there's a sense that he's referring to the teachings of, of, of the Gnostics. These ones who believe that the universe was created by an imperfect spirit. So there's aspects of the teachings of the Gnostics that sounded sounded like the gospel, but they were were a little off. They they, they sounded logical in some ways, and and there was was things that were really uh, curious about it. And it actually ended up deceiving many uh, early first and second century believers away from the pure, simple gospel to this Gnosticism. And in the church today, we are, there's no shortage of bad teaching and bad ideologies. I could go through the list of all the isms, right? Relativism and scientism and feminism. And we have all of these, these isms in our society that can influence the gospel and taint it, can hijack the gospel, really, for their own purposes. Very Within the church, there's, there's all sorts of gospels, of works-based gospels, and the, the hyper-positivity gospel, prosperity gospel. There's obviously legalism, all, the, all these influences that, that taint the gospel. I don't highlight all of these isms to confuse you or to make you paranoid. 
But I feel like there should be a constant humility in our hearts to say, God, I want to make sure I'm submitting my heart to the pure, simple milk of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The purity of that word. And we bring ourselves back to that place. We have to make sure that we're not being influenced. We're not being swayed away, deceived away from the purity of the gospel. Third is this in Thyatira in verse, or chapter two, verse 20. He says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. He's obviously referring back to 1 Kings. It's a very evil queen uh, married to King Ahab and, and she seduced many of the Israelites away from away from purity to God and to sexual morality. So I call this the blind spot of sexual sin. The blind spot of sexual sin, isn't it interesting that in every generation, century after century after century, sexual sin continues to be a tool of the enemy to stumble God's redemptive plan, to make us stumble and to to detract us from God's best for our life. Sexual sin, it hasn't gone away. It's been with us from the beginning. This attack on God's divine order of things. And there's something really interesting going on in our current generation regarding sexual sin. There is a real arrogance, and I just caution us as a church to humble ourselves before the Lord and with scripture wide open, say, God, search me and know me. I want your best. And not the, commentary, not the commentary of this world, but there's something going on in, this, in our culture currently where there's such an arrogance that we, we think in our generation that we've figured it out and regarding our sexuality. And if you go back to the, the, the Greek empires, the Roman empires, they had many of the same theories about, that, are, that are happening in our generation regarding sexuality. The, the complete just obliteration of any sort, sort of uh, norms regarding gender and sexuality. The Greeks and the Romans, they've already been down that road. We, we see that clearly. I just caution us to go back and look at history. But even more importantly, say, God, if you're the one who set everything in motion, you are the grand orderer of the chaos. Wouldn't you think that he had a plan for our sexuality? And so if we sit with his word open and say, God, search me and know me. This doesn't mean everyone has to you know, have everything clo- uh, covered but their eyes and we, we move back to some sort of uh, legalism of the past. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in our, in our day and age, in the 21st century, sitting with scripture wide open saying, God, there must be a better way than what I see going on all around us. There has to be a better way. So I challenge us in the midst of the, the, the sexual confusion revolution of our day, that we take this blind spot seriously. And we ask ourselves this question, what is it that we're allowing to be the primary influence on our understanding of sexuality? Is it the latest blog post? Is it what we're watching on YouTube? Is it God of Thrones? Or is it the word of God? And I ask that sincerely because I see it oftentimes in my own life. The questions that people are asking, it's like, oh, yeah, maybe that makes some sense. 
And then you hear the commentary, the commentary going through media and what you see online. And it's, it's a, wait a second, that is a huge departure from what we see in scripture. So it should cause us to stop. How in the world can we bring clarity and peace and hope to a world that desperately needs us to bring that when we ourselves are tangled in the same confusion? That's the plank in our own eye. We can't see clearly to bring the speck out of their eye if we have a plank in our eye. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, do not conform to the patterns of this world. So fourthly is the church in Sardis. This is chapter three, verse one. He says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I call this the blind spot of outward appearances and reputation. This is those seasons in our lives where we begin to rest on who we claim to be or who people think that we are. And we start, we start to settle with any, any sort of change that's more substantial, deep in our hearts, deep in the recesses of our hearts. We begin to get sloppy with the integrity of our life, the character of our life. And we are content with just outward appearances and reputations. And for the church of Sardis, Jesus had this strong rebuke. He believed in them. He, he commended them for their perseverance and even some of their works. But he said, you have this reputation of being alive, but in fact, you are dead. I, th- I think of this analogy of when you're driving down the road. I mean, when we're driving with other people in the car, our true colors are revealed, am I right? <laughs> Let's be honest. And some, some, some of you in your family, you have a backseat driver. Um, we all love the backseat driver. But imagine that the backseat driver in this scenario was your saving grace. And you're driving in the wrong direction. And they have the, the wherewithal and the clarity of mind to say, hey, we are going in the wrong direction. You know, repentance is not just acknowledgement that you're going in the wrong direction. It's not just the, the facades, the superficialities of, yeah, I'm going in the wrong direction. And then you keep driving in the wrong direction. Repentance is the acknowledgement that you're going in the wrong direction and you say, okay, I'm gonna take the next exit. I'm gonna take the next exit. We're turning around, we're doing a U-turn. We are gonna go in the right direction. That is repentance. And Sardis kind of settled for a lesser form of repentance. It's the reason we avoid repentance because they just admitted that they're wrong and then they just stayed there and they were okay with the outward appearances of repentance without the deeper life change. And fifth is this, and it's the church in Laodicea. kind of a longer rebuke for the church in Laodicea. There's so many similarities to the church of Laodicea and us here in the Western church in the 21st century. Chapter three, verse 15, it says, I know your works, you are neither hot or you're neither cold nor hot. Would, you that, would, you, would that you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered and I need nothing. <clears throat> Excuse me. I counsel you to buy from me uh, gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. White garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. You can trust His loving kindness towards us. Even in your own context, in your own individual life, it's God's mercy that He would bring a message like this to you today. There's so, many, there's so many similarities to the Church of Laodicea and us here in the 21st century. They, 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 they seem to have this 
uh, at least ancient sense of materialism. They thought they were rich. They thought they had everything. They kind of prided themselves in their rich outward garments. But Jesus said, the real situation right now, the real spiritual situation is you are poor, pitiable, and naked. You're wretched. He doesn't want us to be either, or he doesn't want us to be lukewarm. He wants us to to not sit on the fence, but choose one way or another. Are we gonna obey or are we not? So I call this the blind spot of apathy. I believe apathy is one of the most difficult blind spots to discern. It's like the the law of entropy. It's just, it's hard for you to discern. Everything kind of goes to that place of neutrality. But apathy in the church is the death of the church. You can just proclaim that. We need to run from apathy. Apathy is the death of our church. We cannot be okay with situations that are, are happening in our city, the situations that are happening in our societies. Apathy is our demise because we were created and called for something great. We as a church, you as an individual, God has created you and called you for something great. He really has. So we're such firm believers of, of being a church that it's not just spectators or attenders. You're activated in the mission of God. The reality is this, I heard a pastor once say this, that if we're not hungry for God, it's because we've filled ourselves with something else. And so I think why it's so, it's so um, this blind spot is so hard to discern is because we live in a day and age in which we have so much that's filling us up and it's a false sense of, of filling. We feel like our life is full, but when we do, really do some soul search and we realize we're not full, we actually feel quite empty. But we have all these superficial things filling our lives and apathy sets in. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come and I wanna I want close with this, this, uh, this illustration. One of the most vivid examples for myself in my own walk with Jesus in, in just walking with him and, and wanting to Uh, grow into maturity, wanting my life in a fuller and fuller sense to represent him well in the city, in my life, in every context. One of the the most vivid uh, illustrations of that for my own life has been John chapter 15. And so I'll I'll just read part of that to you as we close. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away And every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? Do you say, okay, you're great? No, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There's never a moment in our walks with Christ where we just set cruise control, we're good to go. You're either gonna be a branch that doesn't bear any fruit, or if you're bearing fruit, he wants to prune you so you bear even more fruit. And that's us submitting ourselves the ministry of the Holy Spirit in relationship with him through Jesus, through his work on the cross, that we continually walk with him and we're open to this sort of correction where we say, God, I need a redirection of my future. I need to change directions. So I want us to respond to the Lord this morning and ask you to stand to your feet. We, we went to Revelation not because it provided for us some exhaustive list of blind spots, but because it's proof, like case in point, that repentance plays a role in the life of a believer. Because these are, these are messages to churches, to, to believers. 
So I, I hope that I've demonstrated that, that to you, that repentance plays a part in our walks with the Lord to correct us and to get us on the right path so we can better represent him in this world. But I wanna give space here at the end for us to respond to Jesus, for us to, to as a church, I think there's corporate repentance, but on an individual basis for us also, for us also to be able to re- repent of things. So I'm gonna call us to actually do something unique, something we don't normally do. I'm gonna actually ask us to come forward to the front before you move from your seat. So I'm just gonna pray a prayer. Then I'm gonna ask you to come forward you know, we're gonna pray a prayer of repentance as a church. These were messages to a church. There are, there are, there are certain things that as a church, we just need to repent of. I, I think there are, there are aspects of some of the blind spots that, that we talked about this morning that, that could apply to us entirely as our church. We just say, God, have, have your way in us so we can better represent with more authority in our city these issues, answer these issues. But then up, but then up front, you'll also have an opportunity to, to deal with anything personally. So Lord, right now we respond as a church to your holiness and your grace, that you are set apart, that you're the one that rules the day. It's your word that matters and not ours. You're completely set apart, but at the same time we recognize that you are full of grace, you're full of mercy. You're abounding in that and steadfast love towards us. And so you give us a way of escape. You give us an opportunity to take a U-turn, to redirect our future in response to that. And we thank you for that. Thank you for making a way through your son. Thank you for empowering us through your Holy Spirit. So we choose this morning to repent. And Lord, these these blind spots that we talked about this morning, we, we repent as a church. These messages that you spoke centuries ago to these churches. We as a as a church this morning, Life Point Church, in the year 2019, we choose to repent. We repent of this blind spot of a lesser love. We repent of it, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. We repent of the blind spot of a worldly gospel. Lord, any of these influences from all the ideologies of our day that have tainted the power of the gospel, we repent of that. God, we repent of the blind spot of sexual sin. God, we need you to refine us in this area, in this day, in this, in this hour. I need it for my kids to be able to speak relevantly and with authority into these issues. God, we need a purging in our hearts. So with authority and clarity, we can speak truth into their lives. So we repent. We repent of the blind spot of outward appearances, superficialities, and our reputations, Lord. We lay all that at your feet. It's all rubbish compared to just knowing you substantially. And we repent of the blind spot of apathy, Jesus. Sitting in that middle ground, wavering on the fence. We don't want to stay there. We want to jump in, Jesus. So I'm going to call you to come forward across this place. Just come forward to the front. Spend a few moments on your knees as we repent before the Lord. Yeah, that's the cue. Come on forward. Hallelujah. Lord, as they come, we just ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit upon every heart. Now there are individual situations, I know all across this auditorium this morning, that it's by your grace and your mercy that you are bringing correction, that you're revealing gently. You're a good father. You bring correction in those areas because you want your best to be revealed in these lives. And so I pray tenderly, just like a surgeon, Holy Spirit, do some heart surgery this morning. 
reveal these blind spots. God, we're asking for a move of God in our church, but we don't pray those prayers lightly. Instead, God, we say we're tilling up the ground. We're weeding out the weeds in our heart so that there's no mixture. We're doing the preparatory work. We're saying, God, have your way in us. Prepare the ground for an amazing harvest, a multiplied harvest. We're praying for it in your name, Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.